Powered by, by. RootslandNation.com Listen to back episodes of the podcast. Stream original music. Check out the latest fashions. RootslandNation.com We're your culture. Good morning. I'm here to see Eddie Fitzroy in the accounting department. Good day, sir. Identification, please. ID? What do you have to be 18 and over? Thank you. When you get through the gate, proceed to the front desk. Hi, good morning. I'm here to see Eddie Fitzroy in the accounting department. Identification, please. ID? Sure. Thank you. What are you guys serving alcohol here? Please wait for the door to buzz. Okay, I will. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. Passing through the various manned checkpoints, guarded hallways, and secure doors, this felt more like a visit to Rikers Island Detention Center than to the local Kingston television station. My Long Island sense of humor fell flat, did nothing to change the blank expressions of the uniform security I encountered throughout the building. It was only once inside the government-run Jamaican Broadcasting Corporation that I realized how important this place was. It was established as the first Jamaican-owned radio station back in 1958 by the country's prime minister, Norman Washington Manley, who was a strong proponent of Jamaican self-governance. And he felt this was a good way to promote local news and culture in the British-run colony. In 1962, Jamaica finally gained independence from England. And on the young nation's first anniversary, the Jamaican Broadcasting Corporation celebrated with its first live television transmission. For over 30 years, the JBC has been the island's main source of information. Everything from news and weather, to sports and music, and of course politics, and usually the politics that slanted towards the governmental party in power. The one who paid the bills for the station. You see, from stone tablets to parchment, from paper to television screens, and now back to tablets. Whoever controls the media controls the narrative. And whoever controls the narrative controls the people. And of course, whoever controls the people, well, we all know where that can lead. Which takes me back to the security at the JBC, a location that next to the Prime Minister's residence in Parliament may be strategically the most important building in Jamaica, In fact, this country could actually run without a functioning government, and many argue it has for years. But take away the people's television, then there would be real chaos and instability. Somewhere within this myriad of offices and broadcast studios, makeup rooms and break lounges, is a small accounting department on the second floor. Staffed by a three-person team, one of its members, Fitzroy Edwards, a 20-year veteran of the JBC, 
Having arrived in 1973 as a fresh-faced 18-year-old right out of school, he sits behind his desk with his trademark wide-framed Clark Kent glasses leaning down the bridge of his nose, fidgeting around with a chewed-up pencil. Mr. Edwards focuses on numbers all day, poring over ledger sheets and reconciling financial statements quietly tending to his tasks at hand. But when this mild-mannered 9-to-5 government pencil pusher leaves the office, he removes his disguise. And unlike Superman who changes in a phone booth, Fitzroy Edwards changes in a vocal booth and becomes Eddie Fitzroy, his real self, an honored, cherished, admired, bonafide reggae sensation. Since his very first hit song, Miss Molly Collie, recorded in 1978, produced by the legendary radio personality and reggae producer Mikey Dredd. Hey Eddie, what's going on, man? Can I can I come in the office here? I'm not bothering. Yes, Brian, what's going on, my you? No, no, I'm Henry. Brian's my friend. He's the one who set up the meeting. I mean, Henry, you know. You remind me of Brian, CM Spirit. Yeah, no, yo, people say we sound alike. That that's funny. Yeah, I've heard that. What do they say? We all sound the same? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Really nice. So Brian says you're looking to work on a project. Yeah. Some music production. Yeah, you know, looking to get my foot in the door, get something started here. See what we can come I up re, with. I re, I re. Let's go outside and talk. Okay, sounds good. A little more private. Mrs. Hemmings, I'm going to take a little break and I'll soon come back in the office, all right? Eddie's unique staccata-style delivery incorporates classic vintage reggae with elements of ancient African chanting, transforming and extending one-syllable words into entire verses. Simple and honest songs with themes ranging from gun violence and prison life to economic instability and African unity. But it was his loving tribute written for his hard-working single mother, titled Princess Black, that has earned hallowed status on the island. Just about every person in Jamaica has or knows their own Princess Black and could relate to his touching homage. She's a precious, precious, precious woman, Princess Black. She always, always, always say she's tougher than a rock. She don't like to stay at home and live on dependency. She says she has to struggle away, just like a man, you see. All through the 1980s, Eddie received every accolade and award from both fans and his peers. Most cultural artist three years running at the International Reggae Awards. JBC Personality of the Year multiple times. He toured the U.S., Africa, and Europe, including as an opening act for the iconic punk rock band The Clash, who were big fans of his work. Eddie was a true working-class hero, and not only for his music, but because he was also in the working class. Unlike most Jamaican performers that are self-conscious of their image, what they wear, how they look, what kind of car they drive, obsessed with the public persona, whether real or imagined, throughout his music career, Eddie never gave up his day job, always kept his 9-to-5 accounting gig. People saw him every day, 
driving to work stuck in traffic, just like them. Waiting in line to cash his paycheck at the bank, just like them. Checking the price of groceries with his wife before putting them in a shopping cart, just like all Jamaicans did. Eddie's music was that of the common man because he was the common man, loved by those who led hardworking pedestrian lives. He wrote songs that everyday people could connect with. Yet in many ways, his actions as a person, as a human being, they spoke louder than any of his words. Eddie was an anomaly in the music business, an elephant in the room that many refused to recognize because his story didn't feed into the media's narrative of the entertainment industry. This lifestyles of the rich and famous marketing ploy that they were trying to push on a gullible public. He unabashedly showed his fellow countrymen that you could be a successful singer, have hit songs, awards and plaques on the walls. But still, that's not enough to feed a family, especially in the Jamaican music business, a system designed for those at the top to reap all the rewards, and where there's very little trickle-down to the singers and musicians. After all, Eddie was a trained accountant, and he could do the math. Even revolutionaries had bills to pay. So as much as he wanted to pursue music, his life's dream and passion full-time, there was something he loved even more. His family. He never forgot those lessons taught by his hard-working mother about putting family first. Eddie now had a beautiful wife, and children of his own that meant more to him than his career. He would do anything to keep them safe, to keep them secure, even if that did mean turning down music opportunities that came his way and enduring what at times was a mundane, unsatisfying, and dehumanizing 9-to-5 job for over 20 years. The hours in traffic jams, unsympathetic supervisors, a corporate environment that crushed his creativity. But after a long day at work, when he returned home to his wife and kids, that made it all worthwhile. And then there were the moments when he stepped behind the microphone. The moments when he was truly free. As Eddie left his office and stepped out of the JBC, I could see that his face brightened up. His entire body language changed. We walked over to the parking lot, where he lit up a Craven A cigarette and took a draw. He removed his glasses, closed his eyes and lifted his face towards the sun, reveling in its warmth. And once again, this felt like a visit to Rikers Island. Yes, Enrique. But dying to work on some new music. So like Brian told you, I'm trying to start up a little record label. You know, I work for Ross Records in D.C. and Island, up in New York. You know, I think I have a good sense of what people want. Not only here in Jamaica, but, you know, in the States. You know, I myself am a reggae fan, so I think I have a great idea of what, you know, what will sell. I want something to take I and I out of this place. The JBC is stifling. I totally understand. I know the pressures. 
Hey, them people treat them workers terrible and them wicked. Anything I can do. Let anything I can I'm do. I'm just Eddie. waiting for the right. I'd love to help. I know what corporate opportunity life is like. Me. to come along so I can make my move. I tell you that. Eddie. Yeah, great. Okay. I have a rhythm that I think would be great. Let's go over to my car. I can play it for you. You'll give me your vibe. Let me know what you like it. Come, let the and I hear the rhythm. Let me know what you know. think. I think it, you know. I think you can put a good song on it. You okay, this? Real Jamaican ride. Oh, you love the car? I hope you like the rhythm more. I played Eddie a beat made upstairs at the house at Armor Heights, while my friend musician Joey Mosk was visiting from New York. We built it on an MPC-60 drum machine and used an old Casio keyboard that was sitting around the house. Either it was slightly out of tune or just lagging from the power fluctuations at the yard. But either way, that same warped ska piano juxtaposed a vintage feel on the modern computer beat and set up the framework for what would be our first production. Love the rhythm. Wicked rhythm. I have the perfect song for the rhythm. Nice. Henry came already a long time. Eddie loved the rhythm. Not even 30 seconds into hearing it, he knew exactly what he wanted to record. It was a remake of a song released 10 years earlier and had been waiting for the right time to sing an updated version. He thought the reggae hip-hop track was perfect. And as far as Eddie was concerned, the timing couldn't be better. Considering his thoughts on the current state of Jamaican music, the song Love the People Want, Eddie's forceful rebuke to his fellow singers, poets, and producers that were all too willing to reduce the quality of their work to appease the lowest common denominator. Instead of using their influence, their talent, to uplift the people, the executives at the labels and in the boardrooms had been insisting that since Bob Marley's death, times have changed. The new generation didn't want conscious music. They preferred songs that were less cerebral, more about feeling good than feeling right. So the record companies took it upon themselves to steer the direction of the genre, investing their time and resources into signing controversial artists with X-rated lyrics and songs that glorified guns and gangster life. Eddie's response, if it's love the people want, we have to give them. We as the singers. If it's love the people want, we have to give them. We as the poets. In many Eastern philosophies, there's a recurring theme that when someone's ready to ascend to a next spiritual level, then a teacher or guide will appear to help carry them through. The moment I met Eddie Fitzroy in that accounting office at JBC, I knew I found my guide. Before his 15-minute cigarette break was even over, we decided not only to produce a song, but an entire album together. He knew I was just starting out and really didn't have the money to pay an artist advance, so he was willing to forego any upfront money for a piece of the back end. I offered him a 50-50 partnership. Whatever we made, we split. Before heading back inside, he told me there was one more important detail I needed to factor into the budget. And since Eddie was both an accountant and an employee of the country's largest media company, there was no individual with a more intimate knowledge of this line-item expense, payola. Eddie explained, 
As much as his fellow workers at JBC and most of the other radio DJs on the island loved and respected him as both a person and a singer, that did very little to change the standard operating procedure for getting a hit record in Jamaica. You had to pay to play. Plain and simple. Now, it seemed kind of ironic and counterintuitive to pay off DJs and sound system operators with envelopes of cash to have them play a song that's subject and hook is all about playing the songs that people actually want to hear and not what they're being force-fed. Then again, there's another recurring theme in Eastern philosophies that says sometimes you have to descend to the depths of the sinner in order to elevate them into the light so they can see their errant ways. So if that meant bribing a few DJs to play culturally relevant songs and uplifting music to the masses, I was okay with that. I knew I had enough funds stashed away to produce a quality record for Eddie, in terms of musicians, studio, guest artists. But coming up with the cash to pay crooked radio people under the table was an unexpected expense, and I was going to have to seek some outside help. It's not the kind of expenditure you can share on a loan application at a bank. And with few friends and even fewer resources in Kingston, I really only had one option. And even that was a long shot. You're Enrique. Hey, Tex. What's going on? How is it? How you doing, my man? Can I come in? Yeah. Rude boy, Tex. Everything good? Wow, your place is looking good. It's coming along nice. I like it. How is Jamaica without Brian, man? Yeah, he misses Jamaica. Miss that youth, really You know, I miss Brian, too. He says he's coming down soon, but I'm not holding my breath. He's in Boulder. What's so important? You need you needed to stop well, by. Well, you know, I'm working on this record with Eddie. It's, dude, it sounds great. It could be a breakthrough for both of us, but... Tex, listen. You know, I'm a little short on cash. <laughs> and I was thinking maybe you could float me alone, you know? Borrow some money. Well, that's the thing, Tex. It's it's about 15,000 Jamaican. 15 grand? I, I know, it's a lot for you. I, I know it's oh, a lot for you. I understand. I'm, I'm not going to be offended. I just, you know, thought I'd take a shot. I love, I respect you, Eddie, if you try. No, dude. But things tied right tex, now, man. Tex, 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 I, I understand. You can't come up with that kind of money. I understand. No explanation needed. I just thought I'd give it a try. I left Tex's apartment and stepped into the new Kingston night. I sat in the Neva thinking if there was anyone else I could turn to for help or any other way to get the funds. Maybe sell my car if I had to. Then I was startled. An unexpected knock on the window. It was Tex. Yo, you scared me, bro. Fifteen grand, Henry. God, you scared me. That would really help you out. I'll make a difference. Tex, are you serious? Yes. I wouldn't ask if I didn't think it'd make a difference, Tex. I really wouldn't. Tex reached into the back pocket of his baggy FUBU shorts and handed me a thick envelope through the car window. But this is not a loan. It's a donation. And then walked back to his apartment without even looking back. No smile. No hug. No fuzzy exchanges. That was the most warmth I would ever get from the rude boy Tex. I knew that it was a lot of money for anyone, but for a scrappy street hustler like Tex to hand over that kind of cash 
and not ask for anything in return? I could only imagine how long it took him to save up that kind of money. I never asked him why he did it. I was moved to tears, sat in that parking lot, bawling like a little baby. Who would have thought that that rude boy I met the very first night in Kingston all those years ago would come through for me, would believe in me? It felt like my time in Kingston had come full circle, and I remember what Bob Andy told me my very first day at Tough Gong. He said, Jamaica will break your heart every time, but every once in a while, she'll give you a moment that you'll never forget. This is Richard B., the part of Master, working out for you. And Eddie Fitzroy's latest song, Love the People Want, is on another level. And I'll also tell you where it's at. It's at the top of the chart. What's happening, man? The people need love. If it's love the people want, we got to keep it. We as a singers. If it's love the people want, we got to keep it. We as a poet. If it's love the people want, we got to keep it. Freedom fighters, look is what they want, look is what they need, look the vision, no exploitation. We released the song Love the People Want on Eddie's Confidence label in 1994, followed by the single and album Deep in My Culture on Henry K distributed by Tough Gong Music. Both climbed to number one on the Jamaican reggae charts, and the album was picked up for U.S. distribution by Massive Music, a company based in Boston. Due to the strong performance of the record and renewed demand for live shows, that same year, Eddie finally quit his job at JBC, and free from the constraints of corporate life, he grew out his dreadlocks. Let his inner Rastafari shine. As he made up for lost time, his career once again started to blossom, and he spent the following years rebuilding his foundation, reconnecting to his roots, ready to reach new heights. When in 2002, tragedy struck the Edwards family. Eddie's son Rory, his only boy out of six children, died in an accident while on a trip with friends. Eddie was devastated and could never accept the murky details surrounding his son's death. Believe there was always more to the story. The overprotective father, who always put family first, felt a deep sense of guilt and remorse that he couldn't be there to look out for his boy, his only son. Eddie never recovered from that loss, and he passed away at only 61 of what I believe was a broken heart. And I would just like to send a message to Eddie's wife and five surviving daughters, who Eddie loved more than anything in this world. Your father was a great man. And you know, this music business is a war. And sometimes we suffer injuries that you can't see on the outside. They're internal. And they can get worse over time. Eddie was a soldier. And like Bob Andy and Deadly Headley, These were men who left everything out on that battlefield. Their dedication, their commitment, their sacrifice. The bodies of work they contributed to reggae music was priceless. 
and they should have all died millionaires many times over. But we already know how the system works. But I can promise you this. Those men who built empires, exploiting the hard work and talent of the musicians, of the singers, of the poets, they'll be forgotten over time. No one will remember their names or even care. But Eddie Fitzroy, he'll live on forever. by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack available on Amazon, iTunes, or wherever you purchase music. So join the Roots gang at Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. Henry K. Henry K. Productions.